You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. We're continuing our series called Masquerade. And uh, a couple of weeks ago when I was had this in my mind, I went into a uh, Speedway to get coffee one morning. It's a common habit of mine. And uh, I ran into this ministry friend who, um, he's just one of those guys that's always got a, he's bright, he's, he's sharp, he's genuine, he has this deep love for God. He always seems to be on the high side of things, you know, upbeat and excited. And, and I saw him and I said, uh, I knew he had been through a ministry change. He'd been in one area of ministry for a really long time. And then a year, year and a half ago, he changed. And I knew that it had been, the transition had been a little bit rocky for him. And so when I saw him, I was kind of surprised because where I live in Lexington, it's far from where he lives. So I said, what are you doing on this side of town? And when I said that, he just immediately, just his head hung down. I mean, his countenance just dropped. I could tell he was troubled. And so... Uh, I felt kind of bad that I had said anything. And then he looked up at me and he says, I'm driving a school bus to make ends meet for my family. And he said, I know uh, it shouldn't matter to me. And I know that it's my pride that's making me feel this embarrassment. And I really felt for him. And uh, I I just told him, I said, listen, man, um, there's no shame in doing what you need to do to provide for your family. And I said, and the other thing you need to know is one of the most godly men I know drives a school bus to do the same thing, to help supplement his family's income. It's kind of interesting that being embarrassed embarrassed about something in your life can cause you to want to put on a mask and not let people know the real you. Now, I appreciated my friend not playing a game and trying to present himself in some way. It's hard to hide one of those giant yellow buses that you're walking out to, right? But he was, he, I could tell he was probably wrestling with it. Pride, worry, anxiety, fear, depression are just a few of those feelings and emotions that cause us to want to cover up parts of our lives. You've been there? When you talk about cover-ups, the most famous of cover-ups probably of all time, at least for Americans, is what we simply call Watergate. When you think about it, Watergate was this major political scandal that occurred back in the 1970s, and it followed a break-in into the Democratic National Committee's headquarters that was located in the Watergate office complex in Washington, D.C. President Richard Nixon's administration attempted to cover up their involvement in this petty crime. When the conspiracy was finally discovered and they investigated it by the United States Congress, it led to several indictments of the, of the Nixon administration and eventually, ultimately, the resignation of President Nixon. Somebody might wonder, why would they try to cover up some, such a minor break-in? It's a very simple answer. Because they didn't want anyone to know that they were involved in it. Something like that, though very insignificant, in the right environment would be scandalous. And politics is just that. It was scandalous. And if people made public that they were involved in this petty crime, it would look terrible. So they attempted to hide their involvement in it. Somebody said sometimes the cover-up is far worse than the actual crime. And in this case, that was 
that was true. It's easy to look at people like that and have kind of a scornful, judgmental approach to it. But the truth is that many of us have done the very same thing in our lives. We'd rather our family or our friends not know about our sins or our failures. So we cover them up or we act as if they never happened. We may go so far as to create a story and lie about it so no one knows. Because our sins, our failures, even some of our thoughts... If they became known, we would be horribly embarrassed. Shame is one of the main reasons that we choose to wear masks. When I was uh, in the fourth grade, there was one day in the fourth grade while I was at East Elementary, I found myself in Mr. Alexander's office. Now, the reason that I was in the principal's office is none of your business. All you need to know is that I was spending a week of recess in the principal's office doing what I felt like was hard time. And on the first day of my incarceration, my sister, who's two years younger, happened to be walking by the principal's office and looked over and saw me sitting there. And I thought, I am a dead man now. When I got home from school, though, she didn't say anything about seeing me there in the principal's office. So I started thinking that maybe, just maybe, she didn't see me. Maybe that was just, she just didn't recognize me or something. But right in the middle of dinner, she announces, Mom, Dad, you should probably ask Monty what he was doing in the principal's office today. Uh, well played, little sister. <laughs> I was hoping that I'd get away with it without anyone knowing about it. Instead, here I was, totally ashamed of what I had done. There are lots of reasons people wear masks to try to disguise their lives, but shame may cause more of us to wear masks than any other reason because we fear that others will find out. They'll find out that what we've done or what's going on currently in our lives. We're ashamed of it, and we're sure that if others knew what we were doing or what we were guilty of, that they would completely reject us. When we're consumed with shame, our belief in God can never evolve into a loving relationship. Here's why. Over time, we will accumulate such a long list of sins that we can't understand how God could possibly forgive us. When you stop allowing grace to apply to your sin, you start keeping a list. And you find yourself locked in this prison of shame. You just feel bad because of all that. And many Christians hate their past, and as a result, they hate themselves. And there seems to be no hope of escape from all of that. Here's the problem. It's easy to believe that what I did is who I am. It's easy to believe that what I did somehow is who I am. And then every time I sin, the lesson seems to get reinforced. I didn't, didn't do something bad. I was bad. And then we begin to think that if people knew the real me, they wouldn't like me at all. And then I think doubly that's true with God. So year after year, you continue to hide behind false confidence and superficial relationships, never taking your masks off. Few people, if any, will know the real you. And before long, you may wonder if you know the real you. As a minister, I've realized that 
Many people are dying slowly in a secret closet of shame. No one knows them. And they are defined by what they have done or what they continue to do. Some are plagued with guilt from irresponsible spending, which has led to this accruing of this major debt in their lives. Others are ashamed about sexual sin that happened in their past or maybe, maybe even in their recent present. And a lot of, of those people carry this massive amount of guilt into future relationships. And then there's that group of people who are crippled by the shame of their secret addictions. If people knew, shame usually follows a very basic, simple pattern. I call it shame cycle of self-blame. It starts out very simply. We experience, and we experience an intensely painful event. It's some kind of sin, some kind of failure. And it's big enough that it causes us to feel guilt and to feel bad. Second, we believe the lie that our pain and our failure, the sin we've committed, is who we are. Not just something we've done. And thus we begin to experience shame. And if we allow it to, it'll continue to grow. And finally, our feelings of shame trap us into thinking that we can never be free from the shame. And truthfully, if we thought about it long enough, we'd probably agree we don't deserve to be free. At least that's how we think. A few years ago, a young man came to see me after a session of pre-marriage counseling with him and his fiance. He was concerned about something that he had done a little bit over a year earlier. He wanted to know what I thought he should do in order to make things right. He and his fiance had been a couple for quite a while now. And through a series of events, he had a one-night stand with another woman. Pre-marriage counseling uh, session uh, was going on. And during it, some of the conversation led to him focusing on that one sin. And he realized that what he had done was, was terrible. He was overcome by the guilt of that sin. And he wanted to do, as he said, what he needed to do to fix it. He said that he wanted their marriage to start out on the best footing. And that couldn't have any secrets. And so he came to my office. He called me and said, could we meet? And I said, sure. What, what would be good for you? So, well, I'm in the parking lot right now. Could we meet now? <laughs> I knew something serious was afoot. So I asked him what he thought he should do, and he, he had thought it through. He explained that he felt he needed to confess his sin to his fiance. But here was the catch. He said he felt so ashamed and so afraid of what might happen. He wasn't sure he had the courage to do it. We talked about that for a while, and then we prayed, and later he shared this with his fiance, and he called me to tell me how it went. He said, as you can imagine, his fiance was deeply hurt, but she said that she wanted to forgive him, and that was their goal. And as embarrassed as he was, even more relieved he was that the sin was now out in the open. You see, darkness hates light. That's not in your notes, but it probably should be. Darkness hates light. When you shine light on sin, it reveals it, and it can hurt. It can hurt you, and it can hurt others, and it can be an embarrassment, and it can bring about shame. For most of us, we don't want sin to be made public because we fear what other people will think about us. And when our past pain becomes our present identity, then the shame cycle kicks into high gear 
And it starts working to claim yet another victim. Please understand this. There is a way out of the cycle of shame. It is possible for every person by the grace of God, no matter how uniquely and irreversibly crippling your shame might feel, you can be set free. When we let shame control our actions, we cannot know God, not to the depths that we should and that he hopes us to know, because we cannot live our lives for him when shame is in control. Robert Mandu put it this way. He said, God can't transform the person you pretend to be. He can only transform the person that you truly are. The Apostle Peter is a great example of this, how you can escape from the oppression of the shame cycle. Jesus had predicted that this fisherman turned disciple would eventually deny him. And Peter immediately and passionately denied that he'd ever turn on Jesus. In fact, he said, I'll stand faithfully by you until the very end. I will even die with you. Unfortunately, real life events soon proved Peter wrong. And a rooster crows off in the distance and it reminds Peter of his denial, forcing him to face the truth that he truthfully, honestly, had done exactly what he said he wouldn't do. Deny Jesus. There's this important part of the story, though. As bad as it was, and Peter was filled with a huge amount of grief, he felt the guilt of what he had done, the failure of his, of his actions. But Peter refused to believe the lie that his betrayal now made him a traitor. He was broken by it, but that followed with repentance. Peter cried out to God for forgiveness. And after the resurrection, Jesus sought Peter out and responded to his plea, and he forgave him, and he restored Peter back to his position. No longer ashamed, Peter would preach at Pentecost, one of the great, great sermons in church history. 3,000 people responded, accepting Jesus as their Lord and being baptized that day. What an amazing day. Peter failed, but he repented, and God forgave him. Seems too simple, doesn't it? But once God is forgiven, there is no basis for shame. If the creator of the universe forgives you, then there is no authority that supersedes his decision. Thus, you have to know this. You are forgiven. But sometimes the chains of shame are difficult to break. Like Peter, we can be, we can be convinced of this simple truth. We are not our sins. We're not. We are who God says we are. We're his children. We're forgivable. We can change. We're moldable. We are bound by a limitless love of God. So if you want to break the chains of this cycle of shame, if you want to overcome shame, let me give you a few simple steps. Now, these are different with everyone, but the general premise here will work for most everyone. The first is this, accept that which cannot be changed. What can't be changed? The fact is that you have sinned. You've sinned. Now here's what the Bible says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you're not alone. Everybody in this room has sinned. Now some of you have made a career out of it, okay? Knock it off, okay? We'll get to that. 
King David is one of those people that kind of surprises us. I used to tell young preachers, hey, if you think that you're insulated from being unfaithful or you're, you're above committing adultery, all I have to say to you is if King David can commit adultery, anybody's capable of it. And that's what David did. He, 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 he propositioned, he, he, he made a play for his friend's wife. She became pregnant. And as a result, he used his authority so that his friend would die in battle. So it would look like he normally, you know, died fighting, defending the people of Israel. He was trying to cover up his sin. And he may even have thought, he may even thought that he'd gotten away with it. But then God sent a trusted confidant, the prophet Nathan, and he confronted David about his sin. David must have felt that every reason was there to wear a mask to hide his shame. But instead of giving into a lifelong charade of pretending that there's nothing wrong here, he instead brought his past into the open, hoping, hoping to find a way forward. Psalms 51 is a powerful chapter in the book of Psalms, and it records the repentance of this fallen king. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Once he was confronted by his sin, King David didn't try to pretend that he was innocent. That that ship had sailed. He was honest about his situation. Neither did he allow the guilt and the shame to trap him and thus cause him to miss the joy of a life that was redeemed and restored. He knew he couldn't change the past, but he hoped he could change the future. John writes in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He, and he's talking about God, is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we put our hope in what God has promised, he'll forgive us our sins. Our hope then is inevitable. If we put our hope in the promise that he forgives, we can bank on that. Instead of turning inward to a prison of shame, we should turn upward to a God of healing and a God of hope. Well, there's a second step that we need to take in order to break the chains of shame, and that's to realize, although you can't undo what you've done, you could do the right things from this point forward. I can't change the past, but I can do the right things today. And then the third step is to repent, and repent is a simple word. It means to turn around. You have to deal with your sin, which starts from turning away from it. If you think that you're going you're to break the bonds of shame by staying in that sinful behavior, you are, you are sadly mistaken. Repentance is a very key step here. Turn away from your sinful life. If, if habitual sin is the cause of your shame, then now is the time to deal with it. If you're covering up sin to hide it, it's time to deal with it now. And here's the simple truth. Sin is a choice. It's a choice that every one of us makes. Now that's simple. But it's a choice that we have to make. 
to choose not to do it. Listen to what Paul told the Corinthians. He said, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. (laughs) It's pretty simple. Stop sinning. You can choose to stop sinning. It may be hard. Some of you go, this is so ingrained in my life. I can't imagine that I could do it. It may be hard, but you'll never stop if you don't first decide to stop. Jesus has the power to help you to quit. There is a church building full of people right now who have quit a whole host of sins. They are evidence that with God's help, you can quit sinning. Now, there's nobody in here who's perfect. We're all a work in progress. But recognize, there's a lot of sin that's been quit by people in this room. And then it brings us to the fourth step, and that's to move forward. Many of us find it difficult to accept that the past has passed. It's ancient history. Sometimes it's hard to leave it there where it belongs, in the past. But until we do that, we cannot make peace with the present and we cannot walk into the future with hope. So stop being defined by your past. If the creator of the universe has forgiven you, maybe it's time to forgive yourself. You need to move forward. God wants you to move forward. And the fifth step is this, change your future. Change your future. Once we accept the unchangeable past, we must embrace that God can change our future. While we may always remember the things that we did or what happened, we we don't need to believe that we are defined by those things. Now here's the problem. Others won't always forget what you've done. There may be people in your life who bring it up periodically. You know, you remember what you did back in 1977? <laughs> they go, yeah, you're the only person who keeps bringing it up. Okay. Regardless of the opinions of other people, we need to believe that we are not what we did, even when they bring it up and try to tag you with or tattoo you with that. We are who God says we are. And God says you're a new creation. I love 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. When we reject our shame and what it says about us, then we can finally hear what God has to say about us. He is working in all things to bring about good in our lives because we love him and we're called according to his purposes. So here's the deal. If you're living with secret shame right now, maybe it's a habitual sin you feel like you can't overcome on your own and you don't know where to turn and so what you've done is just put a mask on and pretend like it doesn't exist. If you're living with secret shame, I want you to know that God can do a miracle for you. And when he does, you will be better than you were when you were new. How is that possible? An orthopedic surgeon told me a number of years ago that once a broken bone heals, it's often strongest at the point of the fracture. In the same way, God can take our shame and our past, all of our sin, all of our failures, and amazingly redirect their outcomes toward your future success. He'll recycle your past. He'll repurpose it. But only if you trust him It all hinges on putting our faith in him. It's not that difficult. Oh, it's challenging. It can be hard. But it's not that complex. 
Let me close with this. On a winter's day in 1935, it is told that Fiorello LaGuardia, the uncontrollable mayor of New York City at that time, he showed up at a night court in the poorest ward of his city. He dismissed the judge, said take the evening off, and he took over the judicial responsibilities of that court's bench. That night, a tattered old woman charged with stealing a loaf of bread was brought before him. She defended herself saying, my daughter's husband has deserted her. She is sick and her children are starving. You would think there might be a little bit of grace here, but the shopkeeper refused to drop the charges saying this, it's a bad neighborhood and she's got to be punished to teach other people a lesson. Mayor LaGuardia just sighed. He turned to the old woman and he said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. However, while he was pronouncing the sentence, LaGuardia reached into his pocket and took out a $10 bill and threw it into his hat. And then he said this, here's the $10 fine. Here's the $10 fine, which I now remit. And furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so they can feed their starving grandchildren. Mr. Bailiff, please collect the fines. And he handed him his hat. And then he said, give them to the defendant. The following day, the New York newspaper reported that $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old grandmother who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. Making forced donations were 70 petty criminals, a few New York City policemen, and a red-faced storekeeper. Mayor LaGuardia made an important point when he said that the grandmother had to be punished but then in the same statement made the payment for her fines. His example reminds us that the very sins that we are tempted to cover up and act as if they don't exist are the very sins that Jesus died for. God's justice is required. It's required that our sins be paid for and Jesus paid for them. So you and I don't need to pretend anymore. We don't have to wear the mask anymore. Christians are forgiven. They're not perfect. All you have to do is look up at this stage and you'll recognize that. Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sins. And he assumed the responsibility for their eternal consequences so that the Lord will not condemn us or ever remember our sins again. So the question I have for you is, have you called on the name of the Lord? Is there a point in your life where you called on his name? Do you believe in your heart that Jesus died for your sins and that he was raised from the dead so that you could have eternal life? Is he the Lord of your life? You see, you can't find, you're not going to find escape from this cycle of shame without Jesus. Have you repented of your sins? Have you confessed him as Lord, been baptized in the watery grave to be raised to walk in a newness of life? Salvation is a free gift from God. All God asks is that you be the person he created you to be. That you would be that person who would glorify him by living a righteous life. If you haven't done that, I pray today you'll take that step.
He'll set you free. Don't be afraid. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to remove the masks that are caused by shame. Help us to deal promptly, God, with our sin and recognize that our sins aren't what define us. We aren't that action or that behavior that we committed that was offensive to you. No matter what the world says, no matter what people remind us of, no matter what even sometimes our flesh says, we know by the grace of God we've been forgiven. We're a new creation. We're one of your children. So God, help us to see that and to live righteous lives. Recycle our past. Repurpose it. Use it for your good, God. Help us to take what we've learned in the spiritual battles to encourage others, to strengthen others. Help us to live righteous lives today and every day in the future that would bring glory and honor to you. God, we thank you that Jesus came to pay that price. And we thank you, God, for the love that is at the base of that. Thank you for caring and loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never taken that step, we're going to sing and worship the Lord. And I, I just want you to know that there are a number of us here who would love to talk with you about taking that step. Or maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. I mean, when we're talking about habitual sin, you're just feeling like the whole world is closing in because you can't seem to get out of it. If you need somebody to pray with you, you want somebody to help you to walk through these steps of breaking that cycle of shame. We'd love to do that. Let's stand together. Let's worship him. If you have a need, will you come? Let's worship.